The story goes that in 1916, two brothers, Harry and Paul Wageforth, were driving in San Diego, somewhere near Balboa Park, when they heard a noise they weren't expecting to hear in Southern California. It was the roar of a lion. There were dozens of cages lining the road, full of an extensive menagerie of cockatoos, hyenas, leopards, buffalo, bears, kangaroos, and any number of other species. The animals had been part of the Panama-California Exposition, organized to celebrate the recent opening of the Panama Canal. This was a huge exposition, complete with all the bells and whistles of a World's Fair. There was a 15,000-square-foot dance hall, mock battles, stunt pilots, famous singers, the Liberty Bell was brought in from Philadelphia for a time, and there was even a car race where 50,000 spectators watched the winner drive to a whopping 65 miles an hour. At first, the exposition didn't do well. The U.S. was in an economic depression, and rain lasting days kept exposition goers at bay. But by the end of the year, according to the San Diego History Center, 2,050,030 visitors had attended. This was at a time in history when San Diego itself was home to only 50,000 people. The Panama-California Exposition had put this small town in the sunny southwest of California on the map. But now that it was over, no one knew what to do with its animals. Eventually, they would become the first inhabitants of what is now the San Diego Zoo, one of the biggest, most visited zoos in the world, famous for successfully breeding pandas, its conservation work, and perhaps more interestingly, one audaciously cheeky orangutan. It's possible the story that the zoo started with a roar of one all-but-abandoned lion after its founder Harry Wageforth drove past a collection of animal cages one day may be the stuff of an origin myth, which oversimplifies the precarious process and years of hard work it really took to make the zoo possible and financially sound. Whatever occurred that day in 1916, the seed of an idea was planted, and it grew all the way until we get to the real hero of this story, a particularly clever orangutan. His name was Ken Allen, and he has gone down in history as one of the greatest escape artists the animal kingdom has ever known. This is the true story of Ken Allen, the wily ape known as the Harry Houdini. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. I don't know about you, but I spent the bulk of my life pronouncing the word orangutan as orangutan, and it still feels better to me to say it that way. But after spending way too much time on the internet trying to validate my own pronunciation, I've discovered I should probably just pronounce it orangutan throughout this episode. Both the Merriam-Webster and Cambridge dictionaries have it entered as orangutan, though if you do pronounce it orangutan, don't feel like you're wrong. The word comes from the Malay language. The word orang means person, and the word hutang means forest, 
So Orang Hutang means person of the forest. And it's easy to see why. Orangutans are the largest arboreal species on the planet, meaning they spend most of their time in trees. In those trees, they are graceful, careful, and appear completely at ease, even at dangerous heights. On the ground, they're a little more awkward. Their arms are incredibly long compared to the rest of their bodies. Fingertip to fingertip, they can have an arm span of over seven feet, and when they do shuffle around on the ground, it's usually on all fours, though they can walk upright for short periods of time. Wild orangutans live on the island of Sumatra, as well as the Malaysian and Indonesian portions of Borneo. Since those are their only native habitats, deforestation due in large part to palm oil plantations and poaching are the biggest threats to their continued survival. According to the World Wildlife Fund, there are a little over 104,000 Bornean orangutans left. That's less than half of the 230,000 we had a century ago. There are around 7,500 Sumatran orangutans left, and only 800 Tapanuli orangutans left. The Tapanulis were only classified as a separate species recently, in 2017. They are the most endangered great ape species in the world. Their slow breeding rate doesn't help. It's the slowest of any mammal in the world. They only have offspring every seven to eight years. Of course, not all orangutans are born in the wild. They can successfully breed in captivity. And on February 13th, 1971, a particularly special Bornean orangutan was born at the San Diego Zoo. Ken Allen seems like a weird name for an orangutan. His parents were named Bob and Maggie. Maggie didn't take to her new son. She began acting aggressively towards him, and after she tried to smother him, the two were separated. According to the San Diego Zoo's own site, he was named after the two zoo workers who rescued him from his mother's smothering attempt. They were Ken Willingham and Ben Allen, so Ken Allen. Even at a young age, Ken displayed a high aptitude for shenanigans. At night, in his nursery, he would unscrew the bolts of his cage, then head out to explore. By morning, he would always have returned back to his pen. He was a handful for the zoo workers who hand-raised him in the children's zoo nursery. He'd unscrew every light bulb he could get his hands on. Ken was curious and inquisitive right from the start. The young, clever infant grew into a 250-pound, 113-kilogram adult. Even for an orangutan, that's big. According to the Smithsonian's National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute, male orangutans usually clock in at around 220 pounds, or a little over 99 kilos. For the first 14 years of his life, Ken didn't cause much ado. At one point, he did have to be separated from a penmate named Otis. From what I read, Otis was a bit cranky, and the two didn't get along. Otis was moved into his own enclosure. According again to the Smithsonian, orangutans aren't as social as other great apes in the wild. Sometimes they come together and socialize during times of high fruit abundance or to mate, 
and they do form semi-social relationships with one another, but males typically range alone. Ken carried on, happy to be free of his rival. But Ken grew curious, watching tourists stroll by and stare each day, finally deciding he wanted to see for himself what exactly was on the other side of the fence. On June 13, 1985, the 250-pound Ken Allen climbed up his retaining wall and escaped. When he was young, Ken would only escape his pen at night. This time, it was in the middle of the day. The zoo-goers enjoying the ambiance and wide variety of animal species at the zoo on that sunny Thursday must have been surprised to see a huge orangutan doing the same thing. Ken was gentle and nonviolent. He could have run amok, injured some tourists, or continued his escape into the greater San Diego area. Instead, he just strolled around the zoo through crowds of tourists and looked at the other animals. When zoo employees came to recapture Ken, he could have fought them, run away, or even climbed into another enclosure somewhere. Instead, he just strolled back to his enclosure with them, content after an atypical but highly entertaining afternoon. Now, the zookeepers knew they had to ramp up Ken's security in case his wanderlust elicited another impromptu escape. According to a 1985 article from the Los Angeles Times, he was moved to another enclosure in the Southeast Asia exhibit. In the meantime, zookeepers modified Ken's enclosure. It had a large open area with a jungle gym and a moat in the back set in front of high walls. Ken was afraid of water and generally avoided it, so they extended the front wall by an extra four feet. But four extra feet of wall was nothing. For the hairy Houdini. Just a few weeks later in July, he climbed up the wall again and escaped a second time. This time, instead of a nice saunter in front of the other animal pens, Ken walked right up to the other orangutan enclosure, the one housing his old rival, Otis. Ken didn't try entering Otis's pen. He wasn't interested in that sort of confrontation. He simply stood in front of it and threw rocks at Otis. Again, zookeepers were able to lead Ken back to his own enclosure without incident. Now, the doubly embarrassed and outsmarted zookeepers increased security again. They went to work deterring every possible escape route they could think of. They smoothed the rear wall to eliminate any handholds, increased the depth of the moat, and even went undercover disguising themselves as tourists to monitor Ken's activities. Ken was perceptive. He knew exactly who the zookeepers were and wouldn't try escaping in front of them, which is why they had to don disguises. The zoo chose keepers who hadn't yet worked with Ken to dress in typical tourist clothes and hide themselves in the crowds milling about. They were instructed to alert Ken's keepers via radio if the ape began acting suspiciously. By now, Ken was drawing some attention, attention that would only be magnified the next month when he broke out again. This time, he would recruit an accomplice. Ken found a crowbar that had inadvertently been left behind by zoo workers. He gave it to Vicky another orangutan in his pen who used it to pry open a window 
so he could escape. And escape he did. Now, Ken Allen was famous. Newspapers across the U.S. were running stories about the Harry Houdini. T-shirts and bumper stickers were made with the slogan, Free Ken Allen, on them. And San Diego-based psychiatrist-slash-musician Dennis Gersten wrote a local hit folk song about him called The Ballad of Ken Allen. I'd play it for you, but copyright and licensing, yada yada. The zoo sold the song in the gift shop as a 45 RPM single for years and you can still stream it just about anywhere. The chorus goes, Oh Ken Allen, bad Ken Allen, smarter than a hundred humans at the San Diego Zoo. Oh Ken Allen, sad Ken Allen, we wonder if your dream of freedom is ever coming true. Its writer, Gersten, said later in a Los Angeles Times interview, quote, Ken Allen appeals to everyone's sense of breaking out. The irony is that he doesn't really want to leave. He breaks out, but he doesn't go anywhere. By the end of the year, Ken even had his own fan club called the Orang Gang, and they remained loyal fans of Ken's for the rest of his life. They even had their own newsletter, the Orang Gang News, with over a hundred subscribers. A San Diego newspaper did a newsmaker profile on Ken. It was the first time a non-human primate, or any animal, had been profiled in the paper. Free Ken Allen became a slogan for this orangutan folk hero. Many people did think Ken should have been freed. Sometimes, according to the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, certain species can be returned to the wild in successful reintroduction programs. This has happened with species such as California condors, black-footed ferrets, the Asian wild horse, Carner blue butterflies, and the Oregon spotted frog, among several others. Reintroducing endangered animals can help add some much-needed genetic diversity into dwindling populations. However, this doesn't work with all species or all individuals. For an animal like Ken, who was born in captivity, introducing him into the wild with other orangutans probably wouldn't have gone well. Ken never learned the survival skills or social skills necessary to thrive in a wild environment. He was also accustomed to humans. He had no fear of our species, which would have made him especially vulnerable to poachers. According to Dr. Chris Draper, head of animal welfare and captivity at Born Free, a charity that campaigns to keep animals protected in the wild, quote, released into the wild is not automatically in the best interest of the animal. One example of this was the case of Kiko, the killer whale made famous in the 1993 movie Free Willy. Heads up, things don't work out well for Kiko, so if you don't want to hear how his story ends, this is your chance to skip ahead a couple minutes. After a hugely successful letter-writing campaign demanding Kiko be released into the wild, he was flown to Iceland, where he had originally been captured, and in 1999, he was released. But Kiko had been captured at a young age, which meant he was not equipped to survive in his own natural environment. 
According to BBC Earth, there were several attempts made to help him join a wild pod, but they all failed. Instead, he swam into a harbor in Norway, where he continued seeking out the company of humans. He was never able to integrate with his own species. He struggled to hunt, and three years after his release, he passed away from pneumonia. It's possible that if Ken had been similarly introduced into a world he wasn't prepared for, he too could have ended up with a similar fate. And Ken, when he did escape, he never went far. He would just wander around, look at the other animals, and maybe pick on Otis a bit. After Ken's third escape, it really did seem like he was smarter than a hundred humans at the San Diego Zoo. Although this brought the zoo some attention, and they even sold Ken Allen merchandise in their gift shop, it was embarrassing. Once again, the zoo did everything it could think of to reinforce and secure Ken Allen's enclosure. They added an electric fence to the moat's wall and went about trying to eliminate any possible foothold or handhold they could, even hiring experienced rock climbers to come in and help them find even the most minuscule speck of a possible hold. They also gave Ken Allen a TV, hoping this added enrichment would deter him from further escapes. Apparently, he loved it and became quite fond of afternoon soap operas. According to Fernando Covarrubias, one of the undercover zookeepers, after his pen was secured, Ken did try to escape again around five times without success. Eventually, he lost interest, finding all his old escape routes now impassable. Ken seemed content watching his afternoon soaps and interacting with his family. After all, he and Vicky the orangutan were now parents, and he was the proud father of a one-year-old named Kellen. Settling into family life, Ken was unconcerned with any further escape attempts, until an opportunity presented itself. Two years after achieving fame, something clogged the pump used to feed water into Ken's moat. That moat dried up. Ken noticed before the zookeepers did. He simply walked across the dry moat and climbed up and over the wall. Like he had during past escapes, Ken began wandering around, looking at other animals, and interacting with tourists. Some of them even shook his hand and took photos with him. Luckily for those tourists who didn't seem to think approaching an escaped 250-pound ape was problematic, no one was harmed, since, thankfully for them, Ken was not aggressive. The security guards who approached Ken were on guard, and they all converged on him, which of course made him nervous. He bolted from them, but was coerced back to his pen on his own by the zoo's veterinarians. Zookeepers were stumped. They knew Ken had escaped when he'd been presented with the opportunity to do so. What they didn't know was why. Zoo spokesperson Jeff Jewett told the Los Angeles Times that they were wondering if Ken's escapes were perhaps motivated by jealous rivalry. His old rival Otis had three penmates. Ken only had two. So they added four more females to Ken's enclosure. This seemed to appease Ken. However, two of his new penmates turned out to be just as curious as he was. 
Just a couple months after being introduced to their new enclosure, a nine-year-old orangutan named Kumang, along with the 25-year-old Jane, found a squeegee that had been inadvertently left behind by some zoo workers. The two apes grabbed it, propped the wooden handle up against the wall of the exhibit, and climbed right over the enclosure wall. Ken didn't join them, deciding this time against escaping. Jane and Kumang were not as mellow as Ken had been during his escapes. Jane was spotted first hanging out in the flamingo exhibit. Kumang was spotted a few minutes later in a cluster of bamboo near her enclosure. The area was cordoned off as zookeepers tried herding Kumang back to her pen. She did climb back into an orangutan enclosure, but it was the wrong one. Kumang was now in a pen with Otis, and Ken's cranky rival immediately grabbed her, refusing to let her go. According to AP News, Otis was even bigger than Ken, weighing in at a whopping 300 pounds, or over 136 kilos. It took 30 minutes for zookeepers, aided by another female in Otis's enclosure, to get him to let go of Kumain. She dashed through a door the zookeepers had opened for her and was returned to her own pen after a veterinary exam. In the meantime, Jane was in the employee lunch area, drinking everyone's sodas. Now on a sugar high, Jane had to be tranquilized by zoo veterinarians. She was returned to her enclosure, unharmed. This time, the zoo spent $45,000 in new security measures. That's the equivalent of around $120,000 today. After this, the orangutan escapes stopped. However, there were other escapes by other species at the zoo over the years. This included an escape by two striped hyenas in 2013 after they jumped one of the barriers at the zoo. Thankfully, no one was around when this happened, and the two hyenas were sedated and returned unharmed. A koala escaped in 2014. No one is exactly sure how, as the koala cam didn't catch anything. They think he may have simply grabbed a branch from a tree outside his enclosure and swung his way out. Like Ken Allen, the koala didn't go far. He simply climbed up a tree outside another enclosure and took a nap. After he woke up, zookeepers lured him back down with some food. He was returned to his own pen without incident. Just this year, in January of 2023, a red panda broke out of her enclosure in the zoo's Panda Canyon exhibit. She climbed onto a tree outside of her enclosure and hung around. Sorry. She was also returned safe and sound. Zoo breakouts happen more often than I thought they did. In 2015, another orangutan made the news, this time at the Perth Zoo in Australia. This ape was a five-year-old named Talidi. She climbed up one of the shade sails in her enclosure, using it to jump onto the outer wall before climbing up onto the boardwalk. According to The Guardian, she wandered around for a few minutes, then simply climbed back into her enclosure on her own. Talidi wasn't the first orangutan to escape that zoo. In 2009, another one escaped after she used some ropes to swing outside in what the zookeepers called a planned escape. 
Though there have been other escapes by other animals before and since the reign of Ken Allen, none seem to capture the hearts of so many the way he did. As the years ticked on, Ken's celebrity faded. He settled down, stopped trying to escape, and was often seen giving zoo-goers the finger. There's a great photo of him doing this. At 29 years old, Ken was well past the median 25 years male orangutans usually live. In 2000, he began changing his eating habits, something always a little alarming with zoo animals. They took him to Mercy Hospital in San Diego for a biopsy and a CAT scan. He was diagnosed with B-cell lymphoma. It's rare in orangutans, but it acts fast. Radiation and chemotherapy can be done on animals, but Ken's chances for recovery were so slim that his keepers made the difficult decision to ease his suffering. The Los Angeles Times described his passing as having the solemnity usually reserved for the passing of civic leaders. A candlelight vigil was held for him outside of his enclosure, organized by his fan club, the Orang Gang. He was deeply loved and has been sorely missed. The zoo immortalized him with a memorial plaque that sits just opposite the path from the orangutan enclosure. You can check out that enclosure by watching the San Diego Zoo's ape cam. I turned it on a few times while I was researching, but had to keep turning it off because apes are adorable and I kept getting nothing done. While you can only see Ken Allen now in pictures and memorial plaques, he remains in the hearts of all those he touched with his bright, goofy, endearing personality. In the year 2000, Ken Allen made his final escape. I hope whatever is on the other side of this enclosure, it's as interesting and enjoyable as unscrewing light bulbs and throwing rocks at Otis. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the true story of Ken Allen, history's hairiest Houdini. Huge Ken Allen-sized shout-out to my newest patron, Trish. Trish, you are the stuff history podcasts are made of. Thank you so much for your support. If you enjoyed listening to the show today, please consider rating and following on iTunes or wherever you listen. This really does help the algorithms find the show. I'll be back again in three weeks with more history for you. Until then, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram and much less often on Twitter. If you'd like to help support the show, you can check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. You can also make a one-time donation. You can access the link for that on the website under the support tab. That website is historycashpodcast.podbean.com. Background music is licensed through Envato Elements, theme song through Audio Jungle. Stay safe, stay smart, stay curious. And until we meet again, my dear friends, go make some history. <laughs>